um, Luke 15 is, is one of those passages that we think we know so well. We've probably heard loads of sermons on it in the past. I know I've talked about it uh, lots in different situations. When I used to work for Inavista, the um, part of the evangelism training that, that we did, that team, involved Luke chapter 15. It's a really familiar story. And as with other many familiar stories, it's, it's familiar but often misunderstood. And it's very easy for us to, to miss what's really going on in this story. I know that, that things that I've majored on in the past have not been what's really at the heart of this story. So this morning, I, I want us to come to this story fresh. I want us to, to, to get a sense of the drama that's going on in this story. And I want us to, to be captured by the, the radical message that it contains. And I use that word radical very deliberately. I know Charlie's probably cringing at me using that, that word. But what Jesus is doing in this story is completely redefining our understanding of salvation, of sin, and of who God is. It's, it's big stuff. It's a radical message. And it's a story that is, that is full of surprises. It's a story in two acts about two sons, both of whom are lost. Both of whom are lost. So what I want to do this morning is retell the story and then try to kind of unpick what's really going on and what Jesus' message is for us. So, here we go. Act 1. Act 1 begins with the younger son coming to his father and asking for his inheritance. Now, Jesus' listeners would have been shocked by this son's behaviour. In those days, the elder son would have received a double portion um, of the inheritance. The rest would have been shared out amongst the others. So, so this younger son is probably looking for about a third of, of um, the father's estate. But think about what this guy's asking. Think about what he's saying to his father. Effectively, he's saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. I don't care about you. All I care about is your stuff, is your money. This outrageous request. Think about how the father must have felt by that request. Now, Jesus' listeners would have continued in their shock and surprise as they hear about what happens next. Because the father goes ahead and divides up his inheritance between his sons. Now, this story could have gone very differently, couldn't it? The son could have come up and said, give me my share of the inheritance. And the father says, no. End of story. <laughs> but he doesn't. Shockingly, this father agrees to his son's request. Now, that's not simply a case of, of the father trundling down to the bank with an empty suitcase and his cash card. This guy is a landowner, a wealthy landowner. He's going to have to sell off parts of his land in order to fulfil the request of his son. He's going to have to liquidate his assets. So, 
heartbroken by his son's behaviour and his request. He gives in. He gives him his share of the money. Sells off the land that he'd worked so hard for. No doubt land that would have been in the family for generations, passed on from father to son and father to son and so on. And the son gets together all he has and heads off for a distant land, we read. In other words, far away from home, far away from dad, where I can just do what I like. In verse 13, we read that the the younger brother squanders his wealth in reckless living. And I guess it's not too difficult to imagine what that looks like or what that means. But we know as we read on in the story that, that things take a nasty turn for this young man. A famine comes across the land, his money starts to run out and soon he loses everything. And he ends up forced um, to, to get a job feeding pigs in order to survive. Feeding pigs. This would have been one of the most demeaning jobs around, especially for a good Jewish boy. And Jesus shows just how low things have got for this son by pointing out that actually the pigs eat better than he does. That's how desperate things are for this young man. And in the midst of the filth and the desperation, He comes to his senses. He thinks of home, verse 17 and 18, and he comes up with a plan. Verse 19, have a look at that. You see what his, his, verse 17, 18, 19, see what his plan is? Make me like one of your hired hands, is his idea. He's going to head home, speak to his dad, ask his dad to make him a servant because there's no way he could be called his son anymore after the way he's treated him. Make me one of your hired hands is his his grand plan. And the commentators suggest that actually he's, he's asking to make restitution and that his thinking is in line with rabbinic teaching at the time. And the kind of Old Testament ideas of restorative justice and things like that. So in other words, make me like one of your servants and then maybe I'll be able to work hard enough for long enough to pay you back for the wrong that I've done, to make restitution. It seems like a reasonable idea to him. seems like this is his only option. So he sets off on the long way home. And here's the next surprise in this story. The father sees him in the distance and runs to meet him. He runs to meet him. Now, patriarchs don't run, even today. (laughs) Especially then. Patriarchs don't run. Children ran. Women ran. Men especially older men, did not run. But the father didn't care about any of that. He sees his son and he throws his arms around him and he kissed him. He, he kisses him. He should be punching him, clipping him round the ear at the at very least. But he throws his arms around him and kisses him. 
He doesn't let him finish the speech that he's prepared. Instead, he calls for the best robe to be brought out and put on him. And who do you think that robe would have belonged to? His. What do you think the son would have smelt like? So he calls for his his best robe to be put on him. Put the, the ring on his finger to signify sonship. And sandals on his feet to signify this guy is definitely not a slave. So there's no restitution to be made. And then there's great celebrations in the household. Everyone is rejoicing. Well, nearly everyone. I guess the fatted calf wasn't particularly rejoicing. And the elder brother, too. So, Act 2. We find the, the elder brother hearing about what's happened, wondering what all the commotion is, and becoming angry. And he greatly insults his father by refusing to go to the biggest party his father has probably ever thrown. And it's a snub to his his younger brother too. And the father again surprises us. He goes out to the older brother. He leaves the party to go and plead with his older son. He takes the initiative and goes out to him. And the elder brother insults his father yet again. Look, he says. Look. You can feel the the anger and the resentment and the lack of respect in the way he addresses his father. He shouts at him, look. And then as you go through those verses from 28 onwards, 29, 30, the language he uses is so distant. It's cold. It's clinical. All these years I've been slaving for you. Never disobeyed your orders. And look how he describes um, the younger brother. He says, this son of yours, not my brother. So this older brother, he's not been waiting and watching for him to come back. Because what's left is, is his now. So if the son comes back, well, that makes the inheritance a bit tricky again, doesn't it? So the father explains his actions and cliffhanger. We don't know. The East Enders drums come in and who knows what happens next. So it's an amazing story. It's, it's really powerful, dramatic stuff. And it goes against all the cultural expectations of the time in lots of ways. But what's the point Jesus is trying to make? What's, what's it all about? Well, if you look back to verses 1 and 2 of, uh, of chapter 15, we read that there's two groups of people gathering to, to listen to Jesus. Now, the tax collectors and sinners We're all gathering to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were muttering, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So you've got these two groups of people gathering to to listen to Jesus. 
The tax collectors and sinners, it's basically Bible speak, for people who are seen as the scum of the earth. So you've got the scum of the earth and you've got the morally upright religious elite gathering to to listen to Jesus. And there's real irony in what the Pharisees mutter and what they say. So they mutter with, with scorn and contempt, a truth that is just mind-blowing, incredible, beautiful. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. What a glorious truth. These Pharisees just say with such scorn. But we'll come back to that. I have to just hold that in your heads for a moment. So we've got these, with these two groups gathering to, to hear from Jesus and these two sons. And it's not too difficult to, to, to see who represents who in this situation. And we are meant to, to compare and contrast these two sons and these two groups. But I think Jesus wants to go further than that. He wants us to do more than just that. Because Jesus, what Jesus is doing is is redefining our understanding of sin and salvation and our understanding of God himself. And he redefines all those things in terms of relationship and not in terms of what we do. And there's two big things that that he shows us. He shows us what's at the heart of our sin and he shows us the heart of the Father. So firstly, he shows us what's at the heart of our sin. So these two sons, these two groups, if you like, are are two ways of approaching life and pursuing relationship with God. On the one hand, the younger son, we've got rebellion. Living as if God didn't exist. So we can just do what we want. Rebellion on the one hand and religion on the other hand. Living a good life in order to get the good things that we think we deserve in response. Now the big shock in the story, actually, as we unpack it, is that both the rebellious son and the religious son uh, are alienated from their father. It's easy to see how lost the first son is. How he's alienated himself from his father. There's obvious sin and immorality. Prostitutes and greed is what their older brother um, says is how he wasted his money and we tut and we shake our heads disapprovingly and actually it's, it's easy to see that blatant rebellion against our Father in Heaven living as if he didn't exist and a barefaced rejection of him just sticking our two fingers up in his face it's, it's, it's no surprise that that rebellion alienates us from God But often our our preaching and our teaching um, of the gospel and of this story in particular, that's where we focus most of our time. But again, the surprise in this story 
is that the hard-working, morally upright second son, the older brother, that he's alienated from his father too. Now on the surface, he's, he's towing the line. There's no mud to sling at him. But actually, if you dig a bit deeper, you'll see that these two who are seemingly poles apart actually have something major in common with each other. And here it is. Both of these sons use the father to get what they really love. Both of these sons use the father to get what they really love. Both of these sons love the father's stuff, love his money, more than they love him himself. One is blatant, just up front, saying that's, that's the case for him, asking for it. The other, the older brother, makes it clear at his anger at the feast and his resentment at his inheritance being wasted on the younger brother coming home. So what Jesus is doing is he's, he's taking our surface level, simplistic understanding of what sin is and just completely blowing it out of the water. He's showing us what's really at the heart of our sin. A sin is, is not so much about broken rules as broken relationships. The wrong stuff that we do is, is just symptomatic of, of a deeper heart problem. At heart, Jesus says, there's something else we love more than God. And at heart, we want to put ourselves in his place as saviour and judge and king in our lives. Tim Keller puts it like this, talking about um, different approaches um, that we have, the rebellion and the religion side of things. Tim Keller puts it like this, Jesus does not divide the world into the moral good guys and the immoral bad guys. He shows us that everyone is dedicated to a project of self-salvation, to using God and others in order to get power and control for themselves. We are just going about it in different ways. So actually, what, what Jesus is doing, his message and the message of the gospel brings a completely new approach. So contrary to popular evangelistic tracts, what Jesus is saying is there's three ways to live, not just two. Jesus, Jesus' message, the message of the gospel, is different, radically different, from the approaches of the two brothers, from those two things up on the screen. So on the one hand, it's, it's not the elder brother approach, which says the good people like us are in, the bad people, who are the real problem in the world, they're out. It's not that. At the same time, it's, it's not the younger brother approach, which says the open-minded, tolerant people, they're in, 
and the bigoted, narrow-minded people who are the real problem in the world are out. Jesus' third way is this. Everyone is wrong. Everyone is loved. And everyone is called to recognise this and come to the Father for grace and forgiveness and a new start. So Jesus shows us what's at the heart of our sin. And secondly, he shows us the heart of the Father. And the star of the story is undoubtedly the Father. And uh, as you'll no doubt know, that this story is part of a set of three stories that Jesus uses to give us an extremely precious glimpse into the Father heart of God. So far in this chapter, we've seen the the story of of the lost sheep, where the emphasis seems to be on, on how precious every individual is to him. The shepherd leaves the 99 behind and goes out searching for the one that is missing. In the second story, the emphasis is on the, the search. It seems to me the lengths that the, the, the woman goes to, sweeping out her house until she finds that coin that is missing. That's how valuable we are to God. But then in this final story, we just see extravagant love. And we, we see that extravagant love expressed in extravagant grace and extravagant feasting. And just think back to that story and how that father must have felt. It must have broken his heart to hear the request of his youngest son. And when he came back, having wasted it all, having hurt his father so deeply, the father had every right to slam the door in his face. And actually, in Deuteronomy 21, he could have had his son stoned or even killed, according to the law, for the way he dishonoured him. Instead, he doesn't treat him as his sins deserved. He showed incredible Generosity and mercy and extravagant grace. With the older brother too, he, he leaves the party and goes and pleads with his, with his eldest son to come and join. And Jesus is saying, this is our father. He's not cold or distant or far off. But he is full of grace and of mercy. He is longing to throw his arms around his lost children and welcome them home to feast and rest with him. So I wonder, as we've been going through, which son do you most identify with? Which are you most like? Maybe the, the younger one. Maybe you've turned your back on him. You've hurt the father deeply. 
Come to your senses. That's what Jesus says here. See the mess that you're in. And come back to the Father. He is full of extravagant grace. He's longing to throw his arms around you. It's never too late. There's nothing that his love isn't big enough to forgive. Or maybe rebellion is not your problem. Maybe religiousness. Religion is. You're morally upright. You do good stuff and you don't understand why God's not doing what you want him to. You've kept your end of the bargain, so why is he not blessing me in the way that you want him to? I've got another story for you, if that's the case. Now, once upon a time, there was a gardener who grew an enormous carrot. He took it to his king and said, My lord, this is the greatest carrot I've ever grown or ever will grow. Therefore, I want to present it to you as a token of my love and respect for you. Well, the king was, was touched by this and discerned the man's heart. So as he turned to go, he said, Wait, you are clearly a good steward of the earth. I own the land next to your plot. I want to give it to you freely as a gift so you can garden it all. The gardener was amazed and delighted and went home rejoicing. Now there was a nobleman in the king's court who overheard all of this. And he said to himself, wow, if that's what you get for a carrot, what if you give the king something better? The next day he came before the king and was leading a handsome black stallion. He bowed low and said, My lord, I breed horses, and this is the greatest horse I've ever bred or ever will. Therefore, I want to present it to you as a token of my love and respect. But the king discerned his heart and said thank you and merely dismissed him. The nobleman was perplexed, so the king said, The gardener was giving me the carrot, but you were giving yourself the horse. So do you see what's the, the, the point of that story? Elder brother, elder brothers amongst us, um, we may do good outward things, but deep down, we're not doing it for the light of God or, for the, or for an, out of a love for people. Often, we can be just doing these outward good things in order to secure blessing from God. Or often it's just feeding a sense of uh, self-centred pride. But when things don't work out as we want in that situation, when that's what's really going on, resentment and bitterness can just creep in and start to really take hold. And so we say, God, why are you letting bad stuff happen to me? Look at all these good things I've done for you. Or we say, why am I still single? I've done all these good things. 
for you. Why are you not giving me what I want in return? Or we say, why are you not giving me the job that I deserve for all the good that I've done for you? Well, chances are, just like the Pharisees that Jesus is talking to in, as he tells these stories, if this is us, we may well be blind to it. But, but this kind of religious and, and moral obligations can be crushing burdens to carry. And we need to, to take to heart the truth that the Pharisees mutter to themselves with disgust. We need to see the beauty and the glory of that statement. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And that means you, and that means me. And that is mind-blowingly good news. And it's only possible because of the third son in the story. The one telling the story. He redeemed us. He rescued us from the power of sin and the consequences of sin at great cost to himself, the cost of his own life, in order that we could come home, feast with the Father.